Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off your surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to Northcore on the internet and use the code, capital letters, Grumpy Surf with an extra capital F on the end of surf to receive 15% off your purchase. On the podcast today, I have a world-class British longboarder from Cornwall. My guest is a multiple European longboard champion and is in the top five ranked competitors on the WSL Longboard Tour. He's also one of the UK's top shapers with his innovative and progressive designs in shortboards to longboards. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Ben Skinner. Skinner, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. That's, yeah, state to be here. Cool, mate. A couple of questions to start with then. Where are you and have you surfed today? So I'm currently at the Skin Dog Surple Factory in Newquay. And um, no, I haven't surfed today as much as I would have liked to have surfed. It was super windy and, and lots of boards to make. So I pretty much knuckled down. Surf's going to be good tomorrow. So I'm planning my window for then, basically. Yeah, I've, I've got my window squared away first thing in the morning and I'm heading off back home then. So uh, you got anywhere in mind to go? Uh, well, yeah, a few places. <laughs> but I think the wind's going to be another factor tomorrow. So we'll have to see. But um, but yeah, excited. Should be good somewhere for sure. Yeah, did you get managed to get in with that swell last week when it was absolutely firing pretty much all up the north coast? Yes, yes, I did. We surfed a really nice little right-hand point break somewhere, somewhere close, and uh, it was it was good actually. Doesn't very break, but doesn't break very often, um, so it was nice. We went there with went there with Lucas and just and surfed, and then we also went and watched the boys at Cribber and saw a bit of that going on, which was rad. It's good to see the boys out there charging. Yeah, I would have liked to have been out there myself for two, but I think uh, you know need to need to get ready for that again. Yeah, I think the knees and uh, a bit of training needs to be involved with there before you can start cracking that stuff again. Yeah, I don't think shaping boards really counts as training for that. <laughs> well, it's like wax on, wax off, isn't it? Like Mister oh. <laughs> taking off going one way. <laughs> yeah, mate. Let's talk a little bit about your uh, board shape then. So you have your own shaping place now down in Cornwall and you've just started to be involved with all the Thunderbolt designs and you're with Firewire as well so can you explain a little bit how that came about and how you got involved with it? Yeah I mean it's it's funny I mean it's it's really coming to fruition now but um, this is something that's been part of my life for probably four or five years now. Um, Thunderbolt was I mean look going back to sort of performance longboard era which is, you know, what the year I grew up longboarding in competitively, and that's the criteria we were surfing to. So we were designing boards around that, and construction is a huge part of um, surfboard design, not just in high-performance boards, but in any surfboard. So when I came across Thunderbolt technology with uh, Harley Ingleby was riding them, and I met Yusan, uh, Yusan Mitomo, who, who invented the technology and is still heavily, like, the main man, um, Japanese um, guy surfer from yeah obviously from Japan living in Santa Cruz and so we met through the surf events and being on the world tour and just generally meeting each other and obviously I've fell in love with the technology and it took probably two years to actually for that to happen because you know to get involved in the in a technology like that back then was not just as easy as oh yeah we'll make you a board so um you know, we had to commit to a lot of things. We had to build molds to reproduce them. And 
So yeah, it was quite a huge step to take, but I made the next year and a half a mission of mine to, to make that happen and um, was lucky enough to get some investment off a friend and who, who, who owns um, a big skate park in, in Kent called Revolution Skate Park. And together we kind of, we managed to go and start that relationship and we went to the factory and we've, we've traveled with you, Sam, we've made boards together for a long time now. And, and so it's great. And, and, you know, that at that time we weren't, we were just, I just wanted the best boards under my feet. That's always been the driving force behind everything I'm doing anyway. Um, you know, even to, when I started building boards, I was in the middle of my competitive career and there's a reason behind it. You know, I, I really wanted the best boards under my feet. And so, and I, and I, and I just wanted to try stuff and that's what we did. So we used to play around making carbon rail technology. Probably some people might remember when we very start first started skin dog surfboards, the drive behind that was carbon rail technology. And this was way before we did Thunderbolt. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely had a vision for, for what you Sam was doing and, and shared the same passion on it. Um, so the fact that it actually came about and, Obviously, the people involved, Harley, Ingleby, CJ Nelson, um, now Taylor Jensen, uh, you know, Kai Salas, the, the people I was around with my friends and I knew them well. And it was and I became obviously CJ became a, a, a new friend, but through the process, but I became very close with them as well. And I think it's we've become a family of, of longboarders that share the same passion, really. And and it's great. We've. I, it's, it's, I feel really um, blessed to be sort of part of that. Now, where it really changed for me is a guy called Mark Nelson um, from America who was actually dealing with selling our boards globally. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's just an incredible guy. He really is. I feel really, like, again, blessed to know him, really. He's just such a, um, such a knowledgeable, honest, you know, person. And... He went and manifested this deal with Firewire and, and worked out exactly how he was going to take Thunderbolt to the to the to the top of the surfing you know um, surfing world really in 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 that sort of industry, and that's what he set out to do. And Firewire were looking for new technology, and the relationship was perfect really. And um, so yeah, we're lucky enough now to be working with Firewire, and, and they're selling our boards, Thunderbolts um, again, all the brands globally through their network um so yeah it's it's been a pretty uh sped up kind of few years but it yeah it's kind of unreal but it's it's amazing yeah it must be kind of cool being able to sell your own product that on firewise website where you've got likes of the slater designs machado's on there as well and, and you've got um you know taylor jensen's there cj nelson all these all these big names that probably, I mean, you're the same age as I am. You know, we grew up watching these people and now you're almost kind of, well, you are, you're, you're part of the same brand of that. That that must be, feel quite a good achievement as well, really. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, yeah, it's kind of feels like I said, it's, it's happened very quickly, but, you know, I have to be honest, the Firewire crew, um, you know, Mark Price, they're all, they're all just legends, you know, like, when we met, we got on straight away. And when I got the opportunity for this deal to happen, and you know, it wasn't guaranteed that Skin Dog Surfboards was going to be in this deal that Firewire and Thunderbolt were doing. And being the English guy, I was I was concerned that you know, am I going to get pushed out of this? Do, you know, 
do they really care about me or or not? And you know, the reality is that they do. And um, you know, we were going to have a meeting face on FaceTime um, to kind of first meet. And I decided, like literally two days before this meeting came up, that I need to go there and actually meet them. Um, so I just flew over there and didn't tell them and turned up for the meeting um, <laughs> in person and walked in and shook Mark's hand and we sat down and we had the meeting together. And, and um, you know, from that moment, I think I wanted them to realise that I'm serious about this and it's, it's a big opportunity and something that, you know, I want to kind of say thanks, thank you for and, and hopefully that this is the start of, of a long term relationship, which which is definitely becoming so. Um, yeah, and, and you know, that has evolved and they, they met Lucas the second time we went back. I took Lucas and they met him and they they instantly wanted to help and support him. So they they helped me make his boards in their technology and are going to continue to help him moving forwards in his career down the line. So, yeah, they, they genuinely, that that's how I feel. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, you, you know, you're often scared of people like Mark Price being a CEO of Firewire and, you know those sort of meetings are quite daunting, but and they definitely were to me. And I and I, you know, but but I was very quickly um, put at ease. And so yeah, it's, it was cool. Have you got all of your shapes now are going to be in the Thunderbolt technologies, or are you kind of still, you're still maintaining, you know, the traditional and the progressive shapes that you make? Yeah, I mean the the, the new model is the cherry picker that we've just launched, and that's had just had a global launch and is and is now available in you know most places in the world, and that's the first traditional board that we have done with Thunderbolt. And obviously, longboarding took a turn in general a few years ago. It's take you know it's been happening for a while, and it's, it's essentially it happened. And and I was in the middle of the longboard tour at the time and competing and was. You know, I just couldn't get a score on a performance longboard. They just weren't interested in it. So at that point, it's either you give up and go home and like kind of spit your dummy out or or you try and design something or, or you know, take something to the party that you can actually be, be there at the end on. That's what I wanted to do is just, I knew that, you know, I love riding traditional boards. I've always ridden single fins and twin fins and everything. I've got a very broad spectrum of, what, what boards I like to ride as well. But traditional boards were, were just something that came later to me as far as being the forefront of what I'm doing. And, and um, it's been great. It's, I just really enjoyed it, having a different um, approach to longboarding. And it made it really exciting again for me. The board still turns great. There's still a lot of like performance elements in it, but essentially it's a big flip tail nose rider that, that you can nose ride longer than I can on anything else that you know I have ever designed before so it's it's been great it's 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 uh that's that's really the thing is with Thunderbolt you can't have every board in 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 the technology as much as I'd like to it's just not not going to happen but um we've definitely got models in the future that we've been working on that we, we will definitely be introducing and yeah I mean obviously I look forward to that that's as a shaper and a surfer I always want to keep making new designs and, and and keeping surfing fun and exciting. I mean, that's part of the fun of shaping a surfboard is the different feelings and the excitements you get from that. So that's never going to change. And I'm sure hopefully at some point I'll make something that they'll see and go, yeah, yeah, we want to do this too. And that's, that's basically how it's going to work. So keep putting my head down, doing the work and yeah, we'll see. What I find really cool is when I'm talking to people like you and that a shape is you also, you're at the top of your game with your surfing as well. 
And uh, I spoke to Luke Young last year down in Plymouth, Shaper down there. And what the correlation between everybody that is involved with that, that I've spoken to is they're really, really passionate about what they do. And I think what's really good is, you know, even when I'm talking to you and people can listen to this as well, is that, you know, you, you can feel, see, and uh, even in your voice, that enthusiasm that you have behind it. And I think that's probably why without blowing smoke up your ass, the, the product that you push out there is good is because the passion behind it and you want to make something that inevitably is just making people smile at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. That That is it 100%. And I think as a factory and as a team and the quality of stuff that we want to produce is definitely wants to be the best. And that that I, my, my team have the same passion about making surfboards. We genuinely, we started it because we love it. My business partner and I, he was making, he's been laminating for 35 years now. It's what he does and um, Jason Gray. And he's just like, you know, he's without him, Skin Dog Surfboards wouldn't have happened. Together, we were we were making boards in another factory and just decided, you know, we've got something quite special here, the way we sparked off each other. And that's how we created carbon rail technology in the, in the very initial days and why we decided to start Skin Dog Surfboards together because we, we found out we were going to have kids at the same time and they ended up being nine days apart. <laughs> and so literally the month the kids were born we started skin dog surfboards and decided to you know make boards to build something for our families and our kids in the future instead of just making surfboards with other people's brands on that that you know actually did weren't that interested in trying the things that we wanted to try so really that was the birth of it yeah how did you find that because you know you mentioned the first start of the podcast was that you started skin dog surfboards halfway through while you were competing so how did you find that having to, I mean, you're obviously into shaping and stuff before, but how did you find that transition from being a competitor, potentially shaping your own boards while you're on the tour, but also then starting a business as well? That must've been quite harrowing really. Yeah, yeah, it was. And like, you know, I had kids pretty young too. I was 22 when, we had, when I had Lucas and, and at that point in my life, yeah, I'd been traveling a lot. I'd been competing a lot and by the way I'm still competing <laughs> I, do, I still love it and and I de definitely don't want to stop um so I'm, I'm not halfway through I'm just at the start but you know my point being is that I guess I just knew that I needed to be able to support my family for one and I knew that I didn't want to do anything else but surf and make surfboards and I had the opportunity with Grazy to do this um, and I, at the very start, the first two years of the company, I wasn't shaping the surfboards. I, I didn't shape surfboards. I was a designer. I had ideas in my head that I wanted to ride. And, and it was about working with Grazy and creating constructions that with different flex patterns and to, you know, get a different feeling from your surfboard. So that was always the drive. And, and so Chris Harris was my shaper at the very start of, of um, Skin Dog Surfboards. And he worked for us for two years and we're still really close friends now. Um, he ended up wanting to go off and do um, design and website design, which he went off and did courses and did and became very good at it. And um, but at that point, I was like, right, well, my shaper is going to go do something else. What am I going to do? And I, I and, and I'd been in, I'd been around surfboards my whole life from in and out of factories. My best mates were chops to sell son and uh, sons and in fact, all three of them and. Uh, you know he sponsored me when I was a kid I was in and out of there and so you know it, it was I kind of 
yeah, I had the confidence to pick it up and just go it. And that's what I ended up doing and had enough people around me to support me and guide me that, that, um, that, you know, yeah, I'm, I, I love it. You know, I always wanted to be a carpenter when I was a kid and I just loved making things with my hands at school. DT was my favorite thing, making boxes, making stuff. So if I ever didn't surf, that was, you know, so it was kind of the perfect dream for me is in the end. Um, even though I had the discussions with Bubs when we were kids, which is Chops' um, son, who was my best friend. And we used to say, we'd remind ourselves, we're never gonna do this, you know, for a living. Your dad is in that room like 24 seven mowing foam. Um, and, but here I am, so. Do you remember the first board you shaped? Yeah, 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 I did. Right. Yeah, good. Um, in fact, the first performance board I shaped myself, I was the one I actually got second in the world in 2013 in Peru on. So that board, yeah, it took me through quite a lot of events. I've won European titles on it. And I feel like whether it was the best board or not at the time, it, I had the connection with it. So it, it, I think no matter what, it was a special board to me. And, and um, yeah, so yeah, I, I was I was lucky enough that, you know, I'd put a lot of time into design and and the design aspects of the longboards and knew what I really wanted to get out of them. So I had I had a lot of knowledge before I actually picked up the block. So do you feel um, being a shaper, you know, you obviously shape short boards, like you mentioned, you do Lucas's boards, but have you noticed much of a change with this mid length minimal revitalization that's been going on, especially well, since Devin Howard has, you know, brought yeah. the CI mid out? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Devin as well. And obviously he, we used to compete against each other years ago in the beer at Surf Festival days. And and then we, we became friends closer again when he started doing commissioning for the WSL and Surf Relic. And so when we chatted on the phone a couple of years ago, he was telling me, look, you need to do a mid-length. It's going to be all about mid-length. I'm working on this board and we chatted about it. And um, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And to see where that board's gone and is, is incredible. And, and so, yeah, you know, Devin's, Devin's done an amazing job on that board. I think the resurgence of that type of board is a natural progression in surfing. I think there's just cycles that happen. And, and you know, you, you're always going to go around in circles. Um, and at some point, these designs come back into, into fashion. But essentially, they're functional. They they work better for people. They catch more waves. They get they get more wet, more more ride time. That's the key, really. You can still rip on a mid length, but it's it's just the pressure's not on you to do it. The pressure's not on you to take off on a mid length and go vertically. And and I think some, especially the older generation who used to surf like that, when they still want to ride a shortboard and still want to smash the lip, you know, because they just feel the pressure to and. All of a sudden, when they ride the mid length, all that pressure disappears, and it's like I can just surf and cruise, and and I feel like yeah, that's it's a great it's a great part of surfing egg shapes, mid length boards, whatever you want to call them. It's um, a hell of a lot of fun, and we've got a new model called the Over, which um, is our egg egg shape that we do, and um, we make that from six four up to eight ten. I've made it in in all sizes. It's such a versatile board and fits so many different people. And in fact, my 10 year old girl's riding my 6.4 at the moment and she loves it because it's just easy and wide and, you know, it's just it's just a great board for her, but it also, it has responsive aspects to it. And everything I try and do as much as volume is your friend. And I really believe that foam is your friend. And 
um, but you need performance elements in there as well. So I've really enjoyed making the over as well. And that was definitely, you know, definitely inspired by Devon's chat to me saying, you know, this is the net, you need to get on this. So years ago, we started making certain mid lengths and the over is the one that stuck in, in last year. And it's, and it's been a really popular board for us this year because of, you know, the current time. I'm glad you said foam is your friend because I've been saying that for years and people yeah. just look at me like that. I, like, are you, are you pissed? Especially short boarders. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I, I surf a variety of surfboards from five eights up to nine sixes, nine eights. So like you say, it's all about, it's all about the wave count and fun. You're not, not everyone's a professional. Yeah. yeah. And it just, yeah, totally. And it just genuinely takes the pressure away from trying to surf. Like, you know, you, you know, that, 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 that kind of performance way. But, you know, saying that as well, if you're a longboarder, stepping down onto a mid-length is a great opportunity for you to take yourself into bigger surf or just even at a certain level of your surfing, take yourself into the next level as well. So they, they cover a lot of, a lot of, in fact, they cover a huge range of, of ability and sizes and, and, you know, waves, types of waves that you're going to surf, you know. Um, the over that I, I ride, I surf it in everything from like, our reef breaks down on the south coast to like high tide fistral two foot and i always have fun on it so um and, and that is the key really isn't it so i listened to a, a podcast with david lee scales a few weeks ago and it had a guy on there called john lalane on there and he was talking about a board that he made with um basically the middle was right. cut out and he he was talking about that surfing is all about progression surfboard shapes are, are all progressive and one of the things that i thought was really interesting he was saying is that everybody is still surfing a 40 year old design the thruster and no one is like going out there and designing when bonzers came in it was like crazy because it was like what seven fins or eight fins on the board like that's crazy you can't do that but then you know they started becoming really popular and then like you say everything's in cycles twin fins have yeah. come back into yeah. fashion mid lengths you know the Tora martin films that have come out with needs essential have have basically just yeah. blown everything apart and everybody's like all over the Tora martin to me is you know he's definitely led that charge i mean you know devon did a great great addition to the mid length sort of quiver but everyone took notice to the mid lengths down to Tora martin and and you know and the twin fins too in my opinion so you know i, I was definitely inspiring for me watching that footage at the end of the day, being a surfer, a shaper, you know, if you want to surf a certain way, you're going to design a board to try and surf like that. And that's the fun part for me. And, and watching people like that, you're always going to get inspiration from them. So, yeah, it's hopefully that, that you know, we keep going around in these cycles, but things actually start evolving. I'm sure there's new stuff to come. But if you look at, like you say, any other technology or things have come a long way, you know, in, in a lot of things. Surfboard technology, um, not so much. So we'll see we'll talk a little bit about progressive versus traditional and this is going to amalgamate into another question that i'm going to talk to you about in a minute i was talking to devon the other day he was on the podcast and he was talking about how he changed the wsl longboard tour judging criteria because it was more it was very aggressive orientated you know there's a few clips out of taylor gents at the moment coming out i'm ripping the thunderbolt board that he's got uh, the tj pro you know, just throwing spray out and doing big cutbacks. But the the tour now, yeah, it, it, he's the the tour now has been more back to more like a traditional 
side of things. What's your well, take you know, on that? I think I touched on that earlier in, in, in the fact that, you know, that's really where the cherry picker has come from for me because um, that criteria change happened in the middle of, middle of, well, you know, not, I wouldn't say in the middle of the tour, but definitely, um, you know, we had a year where we had four or five events and as they progressed, it went more and more and more traditional. And, and um, I think they were making it very clear that, you know, it's the equipment you're riding definitely dictates the kind of style of surfing that you're, you're achieving. So um, if you wanted to compete on the world longboard tour, you know, doing that on a thruster is going to be difficult or a two plus one, whatever, it's going to be difficult. Um, now listen, Taylor, I mean, look, Taylor Jensen, Harley, uh, you know, those boys are like my favorite surfers and, and, you know, I'll always love watching them, but, but as much as I appreciate Joel surfing and CJ and, and you know the David Nuevas and I appreciate all of that 100%. Um, and I, I love all aspects of surfing. But watching Taylor do do his power calves on a longboard to me is mind blowing. It's just like wow, you know he, he I've seen him I've seen in my eyes seen do turns that I've just been like what what is that? And I I, I come from that era. I definitely appreciate it a lot. And um, so that's never going to die for me at all I think and for most longboarders I think they'll always be able to appreciate that but when you're a competitive longboarder you you have to go with the criterias and and that's really what happened with Devon and 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 the fact that you know longboarding's in this cycle that I was telling you about before really longboarding is in that cycle this happened before um and it will happen again probably because what's going to happen is it, it will go so far one way that it will be so traditional. There won't be any differentials between, um, sorry, the the surfing because everybody's just going to be doing long nose rides everywhere. So I think then it will come back to what happens in between those nose rides and how you link those sections together, um, and and then that will start evolving again. And and I I think it's a great thing for longboarding at the moment because it's definitely freshened it up. Um, you know, I, I can't say I was absolutely stoked about it at the start because, you know, it was something, it was the way we had been brought up competing and the criteria that we had surfed in. So, um, you know, it was like kind of hard to see initially, but I've really embraced it. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think most people have that are still doing it, that used to do it. Um, it it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a contest. We still love to, to compete. We're, we're meeting a family of people, we, you know, we're all good friends and it's, it's a nice thing to go and do. So um, no matter whether we're surfing performance boards or traditional boards, I'd still love to go and do the contest and have the experience and see all the people. So, but. Do you think that change was um, a direct effect of people not watching the events? Because obviously the WSL is a corporation and it, and it kind of works on sponsorship and people tuning in and, and, you know, those sponsors being able to pay for their advertising or whatever to be, to be put on there. And if you've got a contest that people aren't really going to tune into, you've got to do something about it to draw those people in to watch it because, you know, lots of people watch the, the shortboarding, you know, the WSL shortboarding tool, both women's and males. And, it's up. I love it. I mean, I'll put it on the, in on in the background, but I know the longboarding does happen as well as the QS, but it's not something that people have been trying to. I would say 
people don't say to me, oh, I've, I've seen yeah. this competition. I think, I think yeah, just... no, you are right. And a lot of it's to do with, you know, when a longboard event's on, it's not something when you open the WSL that it's obvious that it's on. They don't, they don't, you know, so it's, it's, it's as much as, I mean, now it's definitely different and because they've got the image they want. And, and again, you know, when you're a corporation like that, it's about your image and essentially the image wasn't working and reaching the right people that they wanted to reach. And, and essentially for, for longboarding to go around in a, in a, and work, you know, it's a part of it, isn't it? Um, marketing and image. So they wanted it to go back to, to the traditional side of longboarding so that there's, there's a real difference between longboarding and shortboarding as well, you know? Um, so, but again, I think it's, I think it's cool as long as, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of the ranch event they did there, the WSL one. I don't know if you saw that, but you know, it was, it was really commercial and, and to be honest, I really yeah. was excited to watch everybody surf it. And I just wanted to watch everyone surf and, and that didn't really happen. Um, and so hopefully it doesn't go too far that way. But as far as the criteria and, and, and thing goes, then, you know, yeah, we just got kind of, it is what it is. And, and I've really actually enjoyed it myself. How do you feel the, the competitions moving around? Like, for instance, you, you talked about the wave pool. Um, how do you feel about longboarding being put into a situation like that? You know, potentially, obviously, the surfing is now in the Olympics. It's out in Japan. The waves are there, you know, are super good. But when other countries, and it, and it does stay in as an Olympic event, inevitably it is going to be put into wave pools. How do you find that's going to affect, you know, the competition and people viewing because of, because of the result of what happened with that? Well, I think, you know... Uh... To be honest, I, I don't, I don't really, I can't beat like watching pipeline event to say the ranch. To me, they're not as, ex it's not as exciting watching the ranch. It, but I, I, you know, I, I'm a surf fan. I, I love surfing. So I, I really enjoy watching them, whatever it is. But I do, I do find, you know, the ranch can get a little bit um, the same. And obviously, I guess that's going to happen in whatever sort of man-made wave that you put it in. But surfing has to evolve, competing has to evolve. The, the Olympics is a great thing for surfing. It's gonna open up a lot of funding, a lot of opportunity for young surfers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword to me really, because um, obviously the, the WSL onboard event this year is actually gonna be at the ranch. So all going well and COVID pending, we should be competing there. And as a competitor, I'm excited and I can't wait, you know? So it's, it's for me, it's like, I, I just love competing. I'd, I'd love to go down and do that. Of course, it's a dream for sure. And um, so, yeah, it, it's, but to sit at home and watch it, I don't know if it's going to be as exciting or not. And, and you know, the way that they portray it and, and edit it is, is one thing. I think the live events work much better and just being able to be more in the, in the competitor zones and, feeling the vibe of actually being in there. I know they do that with the CT events, but even maybe even more so, the longboarders are, are very vibey off each other. We're, you know, everyone's happy and it's it's a fun thing to watch, I think. So there's ways of making it more interesting. How they do it, I don't know, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to go and surf it myself. Um, have you been to the ranch wave pool yet, have you? Yes, yes, I went. How did you find it? Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's really an incredible experience. Um, 
Uh, but again, pretty double-edged sword because you, you don't get long in there and you don't get many waves and you're out and you've got to go home again. There's no like, oh, can we just like, can I just go for another surf? It's just, it's like real, um, it's tough on the soul. Um, but <laughs> it was, it was, um, yeah, one of the best experiences I've, I've had really. Um, you know, again, totally different to going on a surf trip and finding a swell on an island off of Scotland or wherever. Um, totally different but but just yeah amazing it's a real perfect wave and you know yeah i just feel like it's one of those things you want to like have 10 waves just to suss it out and then start surfing it and i think i had seven at the start you know that was that was kind of what you get but i was i was very grateful and uh yeah it if anybody does get the chance like snap it snap it up did you feel like Rick came from the North Shore after you came out of that wave pool then, did you? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's pretty mad place too. It's it's like, it's just, it's amazing. It's a, it's a great experience. But I have to say, you know, going surfing the next day in the ocean, we drove back to Oceanside and it was like two foot and onshore and like kind of fun, but, you know, pretty shitty waves. And just love going surfing and being able to paddle and catch any wave you want. And, and there's definitely that feeling of going surfing, of having that kind of freedom to just catch a wave um, that you don't, you're never going to lose, you know? What, how do you feel about the, the different types of wave pools? So obviously the Slater one is done with a, like a wing plane underneath, much like surf Snowdonia. And I know you're an ambassador of the wave up in Bristol, aren't you? How do you find the differences in between the wave garden technology and the other technologies well i think um obviously um they're, they're just very different i think is the key um not only by how they manufacture the wave but the style of wave that comes out and sort of you know for example if if you can do airs then you've got to go to waco you know um and and you know again lucky enough i took lucas there i didn't actually surf really um we were going there for Lucas on a coaching thing with, with um, some European guys, which was an incredible opportunity and watching him fly at sections. I, I was looking at it going, well, this is the best thing in the world. You know, for if you, if you're like, if you're that kid who can spin in the air and land, then surely this is the best thing ever, you know? Um, so that's pretty special. But for me, you know, Waco is not really for me because, you know, it's just, I'd rather go and surf, the wave that you know some of the settings on the wave for longboards are amazing like the the intermediate set, set, setting at the wave in bristol for me on longboard so much fun and and it really it's it's amazing to learn on your nose riding skills and you can improve on on uh, on things really different there's so many waves it's just a totally different experience you know um so yeah they're all very different, um, but all round, I do think the wave has kind of got it, especially when you look at it scaled up and you see like the, you know, the one in Korea and, and the potential of, of that technology. At the end of the day, there's wave every eight seconds in, 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 in that pool. And I've had an hour surfing there and been absolutely nailed, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's so, yeah, definitely they're different, but I, I, I think they were great. I'd love to, any opportunity to go to any of them. I'd just bite it off. Even surf Snowdonia, it's still so much fun just to go and surf. So, yeah, if anyone does have the opportunity to go to the wave pools, any of them, 
definitely do it. You touched on something a little bit earlier about, about programs. Um, you know, we we're talking about the Olympics. I know you've set up a, a kids program, haven't you, down in Cornwall? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we support a lot of the kids, not just here, but around the country, really, through, through the surfboards and helping them with surfboards. And I really love it. It's one of the best parts of what I do, really. It's like making boards for the kids, the younger, the younger crew, the younger generation, Lucas's friends and, and all the kind of the athletes around. And, and yeah, I mean, we had, uh, obviously everything's pretty much stopped now with COVID, but the ABC Aggie board riders down in, down in St. Agnes. And it's not just the ABC, there's board rider clubs all around Cornwall that are producing an incredible community of surfers, which are all becoming really talented. And, and so there's a lot of great kids coming through, women and, and boys, you know. So pretty exciting. There's, it's just so many people surfing. And, and, and I think what we've got to do is kind of nurture them at that point, get them on the right surfboard and give them the best opportunity to, to, to do it if they want. And I think that's really what it's about. Yeah, you mentioned, well, we were talking about earlier about people that used to compete with, and I did a podcast with uh, Ashley Braunton, um, who sends his regards, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll talk to you about that afterwards in a minute. <laughs> he, just, he told me to ask you when's his cherry picker on his way. Yeah, it's coming, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, we, we talked a little bit about back in the day, you know, when you were younger and you were, you started competing, that there, there wasn't that there wasn't sort of that, that backing with training and people looking at technique and, you know, it was more like you learn everything yourself. Whereas like, if you look at the Aussie programs and the American programs where, you know, they had, you know, the Australian surfing team and the American surfing team, they had like world champions yeah. taking guys away and doing yeah. video analysis and stuff like that. And I think we are slowly catching up with that even though we're an island and we're surrounded by water and we do have an amazing a talent pool like you were talking about, I think having surfing in the Olympics is only going to make that better. Well, yeah, I think kids dream to be Olympians, whether they're, you know, if you've heard of the stories, you know, you know who they are. And, and at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's a huge, a, a huge thing to be able to compete for your country in Olympic games. Now, when I was competing and I was younger, really little, like 11, 12, and starting to compete for the British team and stuff, I was so excited about making the British team. It was the thing that everybody wanted to do, was be on the English or the British team and go on the team trip and go and compete. And, and you know, it, it used to be such a big deal. And, and, it, and it was, it, it just doesn't, the, the events don't mean as much anymore as what they used to. And, and um, I don't know, maybe it's just the way I felt when I was younger, I don't know, but there's just not that like same kind of um, structure uh, anymore um, through the events and the platforms and, and, and surfing Great Britain is starting to come back, but it's had a few years where it's been pretty hard to, you know, events have been dropping left, right and center. The, it's really hard for the UK pro surf door to keep their kids tour going, which was amazing. Dave Reed does a great job, but you know, this, these things cost money and they need sponsorship and they need, all these things now what the olympics is going to do is is allow that to happen more and give surfing a, a bigger reach and therefore make it more you know more companies are going to want to sponsor it and put their brand to it because it's going to mean a lot more and i think that's what's going to start happening and i think it's really important and also the kids are going to do in the english nationals and that it suddenly means like a potential position in a team to go to the olympics or if that ever happens i think 
you know, that's, and, and I know Lucas thinks definitely dreams of that. He'd love to, you know, he's watched Jenny Jones in the Olympics. And, you know, when he was a kid, we were watching all that. And I thought that was amazing. Jenny Jones is a legend, didn't she? And, and uh, just what she achieved, Billy Morgan, the same thing. I just, just the boost that that gave snowboarding, the same thing with the cycling with the Olympics and the cycling team and how much, look how good we are because we were, we were actually given funding to actually support it. So that's the first thing we need is the funding, which I believe has, we have got access to that now. And, and I don't know what goes from there, but these are the essential things that we need to make the future, the next generation of our sport be it up there with the rest of the world is to have that structure, like you say. And the Olympics is the one thing, is the kind of key to open all those things up. But then we've got to prove we've got the level and to get that sort of backing, if you're a sport in the Olympics, you need like you need to be achieving medal placings and otherwise they're not interested. The money goes into cycling. Best case scenario, isn't it? We have somebody that goes to the Olympics and p- competes for the country and, and, and medals and then you can show the world that this really small island just off the Atlantic next to Europe is actually pumping out some absolutely yeah. epic talent. Making bobsleigh tour, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, you know, I love that. And I think, you know, I've always driven off that as well, being the kind of underdog, being the British guy and kind of, I always like being the underdog. It's a, it's a good thing um, to have under your kind of under your belt. And it's nice to come in and, and have something to kind of aim at and and you know try and put put your country on the map and do 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 it proud and and so yeah it definitely meant a lot to me when I was younger I loved competing in the British team and loved doing all the the ISA World Games and stuff and and you know fortunate to win a few medals and and definitely one of the highlights of my career so I hope that that structure um, grows now for them you know off the back of this olympic sort of status that surfing's got i was uh, reading a couple of articles while i was doing a little bit of research like i do on these podcasts uh, on you and one of the ones that i read that i found was really interesting is why is ben skinner in the top five of the world world surf league longboard tour one of the most underrated people people don't really know that much about you and especially you know you've got a really big personality as well i think going back to talking what we were talking about before with like your boards and stuff and 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 the technologies that you're coming out with now is going to put you directly on the map going back to like what we're talking talking about there inadvertently you're going to have an indirect effect potentially on the country because of the platform and where you're from a small town in Cornwall you're going to put surfing on that pedestal to a certain extent, which I think is really cool. And I don't know whether you probably thought about that before. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't. No, not at all. But I mean, I definitely, like I said, I, I, I've always loved surfing for Cornwall for, for, you know, I was originally born in Jersey and I surfed for, for them for, for many years. And um, yeah, I always, I always wear it close to my, close to my heart and, uh, and I love it. So if, if, if I could definitely, if, if in some way I can help that, then, you know, that's, that's, that'd be a, and a massive achievement and hopefully a legacy. A couple of other things, a little bit of a lighter note I'd like to talk to you about. Talk to me about Blue Peter. It was a kid's show in the UK back in the uh, 90s. How did you get on that? I believe it was the section called Bright Sparks and um, Diane Louise Jordan uh, came down to my house when I was like 13 years old. And, no way. And uh, came and met me and interviewed me and then 
took me surfing at Town in, in the harbour and they filmed me and stuff and I won a little Bright Spark clock. And, uh, <laughs> and I was awarded the Bright Spark of the week or something for, for my surfing at the time. Have you still um, got it? Still got the clock? Uh, I think I do, but it's, yeah, it's in a box in the attic somewhere. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it was, it was, Oh, it's, it's hilarious actually I, I it was really fun to be honest she's really she's she's such a nice lady um she made it real fun but i was really scared at the time uh yeah it was funny and then the other one was talk to me about your modeling career oh, no. <laughs> mate i'll tell you what i pulled up some photos of you man uh, and it was so cool <laughs> and corny yeah um how so did that, that come about well, that was that was a that was mad, really. Um, and and at the time, so how it really started is I uh, met this guy called Ben Weller, who's a, who's a, in fact I I didn't meet him at the time. I didn't know him at the time. He he just contacted me somehow and said, "Look, I'm doing these photos and this photo shoot. Would you be interested in doing it with me?" And it'd be this much money for the day. And da da da. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I didn't really know what I was getting myself in for. And 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 was just like yeah cool so it's like meet here this day it's two days and so I turned up and and um, you know he was he's basically a, a modeling photographer and he's amazing really nice dude and and basically he was doing this shoot for a new magazine in America called um, it was called At Large and it had never come out before but one of the other fashion magazines something had happened um in internally in the company and most people left and started this new magazine called at large and one of the designers was julia regola regolio her name is julia regolia and she's this like uh she's um yeah she's a design design person what do you call it <laughs> her sister you know she comes and she she was the one that was designing me what i wore in each shoot and she's like she's done done it for she's you know dressed brad pitt and all these super famous people and um i didn't know what the hell was going on really so we did the shoot and it ended up getting it was i ended up on the cover of this magazine the long and the short of it and um and, and i have to say the two days was great life it was really fun and but it was so out of my comfort zone they were putting me in outfits that you know one of one of the jackets was like eight thousand dollars and just like unbelievable kind of stuff i'm definitely not not in that you know, I wear, you know, wear my uh, freebies for my surf sponsors. Um, but it was brilliant. I had a great day. And, and anyway, that's what happened. And out of that, you know, I, I, I've had sort of modeling opportunities with certain companies that like Ford Model Agency and uh, in New York. And at times deals were offered on the table that you think, wow, this could change my life. I never got one of them. And it never, nothing ever happened from it. And so really it was just a fun two days out. Yeah, I wish I could say more, but that's basically my modeling career. I tell you what, there's some beautiful blue steel poses going on in those photos that I saw. Uh, yeah, it was um it was good. It was good fun. But nothing ever came of it. I thought it was gonna at the time, you know, I thought, wow, this you know, you could get the one contract with somebody and and uh it never happened. My feet were always too big or I was too big for the sample clothes or there you go. Well, not, not enough, not enough six pack. <laughs> and that's it. Please tune in next week for part two with Ben Skinner. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and subscribe on your podcast provider. 
and also follow the Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.